Esther and Jess, and we are the Well Spoken Tokens. Hello! <laughs> this podcast tries to fix the cultural sector and to try and make it more inclusive for everyone. Today, we are going to be discussing dis- dismantling white supremacy one statue at a time, which has been very, very current. And we have an amazing special guest, our first so legacy excited. guest. I'm so excited, sorry. uh, Related to a guest we had in the first season. So if you haven't listened to our um, episode with Adam Beyonce Lowe, you should definitely listen to that. Uh, So today we're welcoming Alison Lowe. Um, We heard so much about how much you inspired Adam. We felt it was really important for us to get you on the show and talk about your role dismantling statues in Leeds. So welcome, Alison. I'm just going to say that Alison was the first black um, female Leeds city councillor. She served from 1990 to 2019 and she served as the chief executive of Touchstone, a mental health charity based in Leeds since 2004. She's an amazing cook, um, (laughs) a wonderful grandparent and um, all over incredibly funny person. So you're going to have a lot of fun in this episode not that you don't always although you know so Alison would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself stuff that we don't know maybe stuff that I haven't touched on in that introduction yeah I mean it's unlikely that I can tell you stuff you don't know because I am so open and I tell everybody everything about me uh, (laughs) much to the uh, irritation and embarrassment of both my kids although I think Adam's Adam's more like me than uh, than Rosie in that regard uh, so I'm Alison Lowe. Um, I was, as you uh, so rightly said, the first black woman councillor for the city council. I'm currently the chief exec of a mental health charity specialising in BAME mental health in Leeds. Uh, but we operate across the whole of West Yorkshire and bits of South Yorkshire too now. Uh, but our head office is in Leeds. Um, and uh, because I was a councillor for so long, I was made an honorary older woman, the first honorary older woman, because it used to be older man, which obviously we don't want to um be uh, encapsulated in those terms um in the modern day britain so they now created an older woman and i was made that in uh, january of this year and my oh, first my first job congratulations um, wow um, well i don't know it's so good because my first job is is to review all the statuary the artwork paintings things that are outside external um, that are representing individuals or groups of individuals in Leeds and I've been asked to review those in light of the Black Lives Matter movement but also because it's the right thing to do. Yeah so actually one thing I did want to ask is with this role that you've been appointed in doing all of this did that come directly as a result of that or was it something they'd already started planning on doing and it's just been sort of almost been a bit more um, brought to the forefront? So the council had been thinking about reviewing all the statues for a long time, but the actual, uh, the, the, the problem was that statues are not in anyone's portfolio on Leeds City Council, um, and so there was no capacity to do it because it was nobody's job. Um, but yeah. they had, had long wanted to um, bring together a list of all the external artworks, uh, statues, etc., cetera, uh, commemorating people, uh, because it had come up some years ago, and so that was an intention to do that, but because it was in no one's portfolio, it just one of those things that never got done. So the Black Lives Matters thing did reignite a conversation um, about um, uh, statuary, and that then came to the fore um, with the Edward Colston uh, dismembering and uh, drowning, which was uh, 
um, you know, in the public eye of democracy. And I think that then absolutely made it imperative for all local authorities to reflect on uh, statues and the local government association of which Leeds is a member, all local authorities are members, uh, very quickly put out some good practice guidance, uh, one of which was that you might want to ask uh, someone to undertake a review. And the good thing about me is not only am I the first black woman uh, leading to councillor, I'm also an historian. So I went to Leeds University, I've studied history, I've got a BA and an MA in history. Uh, I love uh, history and uh, that meant that actually I was probably really well placed. Yeah, also, it was like almost the most perfect um yeah, choice but there is literally no one better <laughs> well it, it felt it felt like um it was a it was a really nice opportunity for me and that's why i said yes because i felt that they wouldn't get anybody as uh, well placed as me to undertake this review um not only because i've got um a history of a, as a councillor and understand the uh, the whole city i'm no longer a councillor so i have no um, no one pulling my strings, not that I ever did, if you ever knew me on the council you'd know that nobody <laughs> ever pulled my strings, uh, but that's the, the perception of people influencing me is no longer there, uh, but also I do have a love of history and I've got two degrees, and had it not be, been for um, Covid, I would have um, just been about to get my honorary doctorate from Leeds University, which uh, uh, I shall now get next year, so yeah, so in lots of ways, a perfect choice. Oh yeah, my god, that's incredible! Oh, I'm so pleased, that's loads of really good things happening. I was... yeah, well, fortunately, it all happens next year and Covid doesn't uh, stop us again. Yeah, oh, that'd be so good to see that happen for you. And uh, I was so chuffed when I found out that you were doing the review because, like you said, I immediately was just like, oh, this is, th this is the best person to do it. The most well-placed, yeah, yeah. with, with the best... Um, experience and with a very unshakable sense of self so no one's gonna be like telling no me. one's gonna bully me but, no. but also i love leeds you know i i was a councillor for 29 years at born and bred in leeds yeah. you know i lived in seacroft then chapel town then armley uh, you know leeds is in my blood and um so for me this is all about creating a cohesive um peace-loving leeds and so the statue is a part of that conversation. It's essential for this conversation to take place because yeah. um, at the moment there are some upset people or angry people uh, and then there are some confused people thinking I don't understand what's going on. And so we're going to have that conversation and people can learn about the history that's around them. It's another brilliant opportunity to look at the history um, surrounding us all. And Leeds has got a very, very long history uh, going right back to um, the... Um, can't remember the name of it, you know, the Doomsday Book, the Doomsday Book. So it's, uh, it's really important that uh, we're proud of uh, who we are and uh, understand how we got to where we are. Yeah, 100%. I, I have, um, I'm curious to find out how you deal with people who say things like um, taking down statues is like removing our history or taking down statues is whitewashing history etc like obviously Esther and I have our own um, ways of dealing with those arguments but I feel like potentially people who listen to this podcast mm. will have encountered those kind of like quite angry people and sense that that what they're saying is wrong but not know how to like articulate why they think that yeah, yeah. Wrong. so I, I mean I think it depends on which statue 
because I think that through the, through the ages, um, people have honoured people through the lens of that time. Uh, and obviously, looking through the 21st century lens um, uh, of Britain on Edward Colston, it was clear to anyone that that was not just the wrong thing to do, it was actually offensive, it was anathema. And removing that statue does not remove uh, the contributions that Colston allegedly made to Bristol back in the day, but what it does do is remove from the um, people of uh, Bristol the memory of the abuses, the, um, uh, the, the uh, contribution to slavery that Bristol uh, had in, in a negative way, because I think that it's an important thing to, to say to uh, the, the people who are in charge in Bristol, you do need to remember slavery in Bristol because you were an, uh, a part of the evil of slavery. But what you need to do is recall and celebrate how indebted you are to the people, the slaves, who built your wealth. So you need to name them and honour them because they brought the wealth of Bristol. So why don't we have some kind of, it might not be a statue, because I think statues are quite old hat now, but you yeah. need a way to say, we are only here and the size we are and the wealth we have on the backs of those people who were enslaved. And we are indebted to those people and we need a way to capture that. But by having the statue there, which everybody agreed, was a, a, a real saw, um, um, you know, it was a real source of anger and um, it was a potential tinderbox, but nobody could understand the, uh, the requirement to remove that statue in order to create uh, peace and uh, a, move, a moving forward uh, for the people of Bristol. White as well as black, this is not, yeah. this is not a, a, a black issue, this is an issue for all of us. When you're saying racism is wrong, and you've got somebody who's killed tens of thousands of black people and you're commemorating that and you're saying that racism is okay in some circumstances yeah you're saying so it's okay removing, yeah so by removing statues um you are not erasing history because that history is embedded ingrained um indelibly in the lives of the people who live today but on the lives of the people who died yesterday and so much of bristol's history is about slavery and is about the pain of uh, and the misery of those people who were wrongly enslaved and i think that removing the statue is just removing the face of the person who said it's okay uh, to enslave black people yeah that's and I think an amazing way of yeah i think that's really eloquently put i think there's a couple of things because people say it's a rosy history but actually it was always a very selective history anyway yeah, yeah. um and I'm always like, well, okay, you've already erased so many stories because there are loads of people you haven't commemorated. So you getting upset about this one person, I think is a little bit short-sighted and almost a little bit willfully combative, to be honest. Yeah, you're right, because whose history are you erasing? Because the history of Africa, the history of people who were enslaved, that's nowhere in sight. And as I've yeah, just said- The history of the that... people who, as you said, built that city. Yeah. has been erased already exactly. exactly and it's about talking about who you think it's your choice to commemorate exactly and by having his face there you're saying the success of bristol was built on white people the success of bristol was built on black people the success of liverpool was built on black people the success of the uk was built on black people so let's not pretend that we weren't a major part of um who we are today 
yeah. if, you're going, if you're going to have a statue, have it of the people who brought that wealth. Yeah. And then that wealth to a terrible, in, in a terrible way because we were forced, our ancestors, uh, because I've, I've done my DNA, I, you know, I'm, I'm from Nigeria, part of me is from Nigeria. Um, our ancestors were ripped out of their countries, ripped out of their communities and forced to work and not get paid, enslaved, uh, beaten, raped, you name it, it happened in order for individuals in this country to prosper and individuals in America to prosper in other parts of the world. You, you can't forget that. And having no. a statue of Halston denies all that. And, and in other ways of, the other ways that I think that the UK and a lot of the world was uh, built on like black culture as well is the way that everything in mainstream media pop culture at the moment is all based on like things um that black people created mm -hmm. and then a lot of that um creation gets like whitewashed so like then people assume that it wasn't created yeah. by black people so you've got like like you were saying Alison the fact that the wealth was created by on the backs of black people being enslaved which is horrendous but then you've also got a lot of the culture mm being created um, by black people who were trying to find some kind of joy in their life and creativity and being amazing. And then that kind of, and then that gets like stolen by uh, white people as well. So I feel like we need to also have in modern history um, and in pop culture, like we need to give that same, those same props um to the black people that are like we're also indebted to them i feel indebted to them for bringing all this like beauty and music and like mm. amazing stuff into my life that would have never existed without them yeah and, and also it's like those loan sketch isn't it um i bring my purse on stage because white people steal stuff too it's mainly countries and cultures but you <laughs> I think one of the reasons that that happened though is because no one has ever invested time in writing down the history of black people. Nobody's ever taken time to find out all the brilliant things that uh, black people have invented, the music, the food, the culture. Not, no one in enough numbers has spent time and invested that energy in creating all that um, legacy of um, uh, black success, black achievement, yeah. Uh, but, but white people have. White people have spent a lot of time writing. They like their... to talk about themselves and write about yeah, themselves. Yeah. Well, we all like to talk about ourselves and do great stuff. But our voices were silenced for hundreds and hundreds of years through slavery, through those years. And then you get to um, you know, the 19th, 20th century and the, the practice of hearing black people is just not in place. So the continuation of only the white story being told um, is is the norm and that yeah. is still the norm it's still the norm and I think what's great about Black Lives Matters now is that it feels like the majority not all of course the majority of white people are suddenly recognizing that they have been robbed they have been robbed of truth they have been lied to for hundreds and hundreds of years because they've only seen their bit of the world and the rest of the life the, the lives of the um, people of this uh, planet have been denied to them the, the contributions, the, the passion, the power, the, 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 the creativity, all that stuff has been hidden away from them. They've been lighter. So 
in a way, I think they've now realised that, and as a result of being lied to and all that stuff denied to us, we've been living in this, we're calling it white privilege, this white privilege bubble, which makes us feel that we're the best and we're, we're this and we're that, but actually, I feel a bit embarrassed now. This is the good white people, obviously. I feel a bit embarrassed. <laughs> a good one. I've been so smug thinking we did all this stuff, and now I'm beginning to understand that actually, black people, yeah. um, so in some cases, were there first. And in other cases, walked alongside us equally in terms of their intelligence, their skill, their innovation. And we, we are looking a bit stupid now as we just denied all that for so long because we were never told. And the history that is taught in schools needs to change, yeah. massively needs to change. And in America, they get taught much more about the history of slavery, the history of uh, the contribution of black people, so much more than we do in this country. It's so Eurocentric. And it's a lie. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, lot of denial. Like, oh no, because so much racism is so insidious in the UK. Yeah, Some of it is overt, but it's so difficult sometimes to explain. I feel like it's the same way that when you're a woman, you have a sixth sense about whether or not a person is being creepy, or you need to stay away from that person. If you're a person of colour, you know when someone is oh, yeah, yeah. deliberately... It's those microaggressions, isn't it? It's like, yeah. oh, I didn't expect you to sound like that. Oh, I didn't expect you to look like that. Oh, you're, you're, you're quite pretty, are you? Oh, and you think... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got two degrees. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yeah. My favourite is, like, you'd be pretty if you were, if you were lighter-skinned. And I'm just like, oh, my God. That is... Because that's said by people who are also not white so you're just like ah, I've, I've been told i've been told by a black woman who will remain nameless that she is not on my christmas card list that um, i'm not black because because i i am much paler than her so i'm therefore not black That's, that it pissed me off that proper pissed me off because we have to all stick together because i still get the n-word yeah. my kids grow up with me turning up at school and all, all of a sudden they're, they're mates thinking oh is that your mum um, you know, so it's it, it's not healthy and it's not, but that's because we're in this system that prizes pale mm -hmm. and, you know, and um, demonizes dark. And yeah. that's that, and that we've bought into that as well. Yeah. yeah. So when you get it, drip, 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 and you get none of that history, which is about celebrating blackness, celebrating the contribution that black people um, have made since time. You also get a bit embarrassed and think, oh, well, I want a bit of that white. I want a bit of that white because yeah. otherwise I'm, I'm diminished because I have nothing other than yeah. that little bit of white. So we are part of the problem, but it's not our fault. It's because um, we, have, a, we haven't had the power. To, we have had the power, but we haven't been willing to take our power back. And what Black Lives Matter has done for so many people, don't get me wrong, there have been activists for years who have put two fingers up at what they should have been doing and saying uh, are so described by white people and they've been fighting the good fight for a long time and they are heroes and we should be commemorating them as heroes and then there's been lots of us and you know maybe i'm part of that i don't know i'd like to think i'm part of the hero clan but maybe i'm not because uh, there's been times in my life when i thought well i'd like to say something now but i don't want to be seen as aggressive I'd like to do something now, but I don't want to buy these white people because I operate in spaces where lots of white people are and very few black people and often no black people. So have I been Same part with of Esther the and I? Yeah, we we're have the I been part of the problem. 
you know, so you have to reflect. And that is because of the, the, the world that you're in and it is so hard to stand yeah. up and put your hand up. But let us celebrate those women who have. Let's celebrate those men who have because they're, uh, and you know, trans and non-binary people, you know, Masha, hey, Johnson, I'm with you. Yeah. You know, and there are lots and yeah. lots of very brave people who have said, I'm not bothered what I'm supposed to do and say in your eyes. I'm going to do what I know in my eyes is the right thing to do. And we have to celebrate those people. Yeah, it is. It does take a certain level of strength to have the integrity to kind of stand up sometimes for someone else when it doesn't affect you, but also to actually be there and not accept when someone has said something that you know is wrong and you know is like demeaning or belittling to you because, mm. you know, it's really it is really important that you actually do stand up against some of those statements that are so I, casually taken. Yeah. I've spent so well. much of this week responding to emails and going through it with Fiona, my housemate, and going, does this sound aggressive? Does this sound too aggressive? Because I'm trying to make a point about equality and diversity and I don't want yeah. it to come and across like that. Equality and diversity in particular, you don't want to sound aggressive about it. Yeah. It's like I'm already disregarded by certain people. But it's so it's kind of like, well, I know I know that you don't think much of me, so I'm going to try and white up this email exactly as possible. And you need to stop doing that because actually yeah. then, because if they don't respect you and they don't regard you, whether you play their, to their tune or you play to your tune, nothing is going to change because the problem is not you, the problem is them. Yeah. And I've been asked now. to wade into the and it's taken me three weeks to think about how to do it. Because exactly. I'm like, do I even want to get into this space where if I do it properly, I am going to be making you really, really uncomfortable? And do I want to be making you uncomfortable all the time? And do I want to raise these points that really, really get on my nerves? And yes, if you like, have you to be really uncomfortable, they have to be uncomfortable. That's my new rule. Yeah. And it's like, do I want to put myself in that space as being the person that you've just asked me to come and make you uncomfortable? But when I do it, are you actually going to take me seriously? Exactly. And I suppose it's about recognising that sometimes there are wars, sometimes there are battles, and sometimes there are skirmishes. And, yeah. you know, there's many skirmishes where I think, oh, I can't be bothered. But the battles, you know, you have to choose your battles, absolutely, because there's not enough energy in the world to keep on fighting all these battles. But there's wars, and you have to win the war. You have to win the war, and that means sometimes you have to stand up and be counted. That's, that means that the people who don't want to hear are going to use that, oh, you're aggressive, you're aggressive. Yeah. And that's their way of shutting us down, of they use their language to close down black people and to tell us that we're all this, you know, we're scary, we're this. And sometimes that's okay. If they want to use that word, then we have to be prepared to say, well, that's the language that white people use when, when black people are telling something something they don't want to hear. So I'll take that word, that's fine. But you need to take what I'm telling you, which is that... Yeah, and it's not just that we're being scary, it's that you are scared. And yeah. sometimes that's nothing to do with me. Sometimes exactly. that's actually you having got some assumptions and some things in your head about... Racism! <laughs> I mean, it's the hour. word, let's be clear. If people are frightened of me because I'm telling them the truth, then that's not about me telling them the truth, that's about them yeah. being... Um, you know, subliminally, directly, indirectly, whatever it is, they've got racist stereotypes that are at play. Do you know what I, this is uh, quite, a, a, in the grand scheme of things, small racism, but I was, um, Beyonce's, thir Beyonce's 38 now, right? And people keep saying she doesn't look 38. 
And I was like, she looks like a black woman who's 38. You just, your idea yeah. of what age is, is based on white people. Yeah. So, like, I was just like, that, that, just, when that hit my mind, it just like blew my mind. I was like, no, she has the mannerisms and she holds herself like she knows, knows herself, like, you know, she holds herself like a woman. She um, acts like she, she's grown. She knows what she's doing. It's not always about what your face looks like. Sometimes it's about how you behave. And also just because you're you're judging her on the the skin type and like because it happens to me all the time as well and I know I do look young, oh God, but yeah. like huh? I mean yeah, I mean when I turned 40, like that was fairly the two things I always get are you don't sound like a brummie and you don't look 40. And neither of those is a compliment to me. I am happy with who I am. I'm happy with the age and the experience and the life that I have. And I'm very proud of being from Birmingham. Well, I apologise because I'm fairly certain I have said to you um, when it was like coming up to your birthday, I just assume everyone's the same age as me though. So I didn't know how old you were going to be. And again, but that's it. You're addressing the fact that that is part of your bias. (laughs) And obviously I have an amazing joie de vivre. Your energy is more like... Yeah, it's because it's we used to go out and get drunk, so I just... I just didn't then I have a friend who's in her 90s, and she's amazing to me, because she's got loads of energy, she gets told all the time that they can't imagine she was at these specific events, like, she tells this great story about how uh, she saw, like, the first ever John Gilbert performance, and I think it's amazing. Um, but also, one of the things we've talked about is that she likes hanging out with young people because it keeps her young. Hmm. Um, and that interaction and that sort of intergenerational learning. And she's one of my favourite people because if you ever want to be trained, but get trained by a 90-year-old who's yeah. got a real sense of fun. Yeah. And it's just reductive to say, oh my gosh, yeah, oh my God, you don't feel like a 90-year-old. Of course she feels like a 90-year-old. She is goddamn 90. Yeah. And that is a special thing to be celebrated. A hundred percent. We need to take a quick break now, um, but we will be back after this message. Hi, every- hi everyone. Just wanted to say thank you for listening and give you an update on what we've got going on over here at Well Spoken Tokens and Intersectional Glam. So first off, the Intersectional Glam Conference has been moved to August 2021. Tickets are available on Eventbrite and the link will be in the show description. I've also created three training sessions so far. These are available on intersectionalglam.org. We have online training for unconscious and implicit bias training for glam professionals. We have diversity, inclusion and intersectionality training for glam professionals and also trans awareness training for glam professionals. Coming out in August, we 20. 20 we will also have anti-racism training uh, which will all be available on the website intersectionalglam.org we have also created a tip jar Uh, we want to make this podcast as elegant and beautiful and well rounded as possible so if you have any spare coinage please send it our way and we can make sure to make this podcast the best that we possibly can thank you so much all links will be available in the show description enjoy the rest of the show and we're back with the incomparable Alison Lowe, mother to uh, Adam Beyonce Lowe, and grandmother to May, uh, whose last name, I don't know what you decided on, I'm assuming Lowe. Well, we won't go there because it's oh, a soft okay. but anyway. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, 
we're gonna do our next segment uh which is called mighty whites <laughs> in which we discuss a non-person of color uh in our lives who has been upholding the voices for people either for people of color or for a marginalized community or a marginalized group and we want to give them a shout out and say thank you and try and get other people to be a bit more like them and have the bravery to be a bit more like them so esther do you have yours i do now i because my memory is absolutely terrible and i hate listening to my own voice i can't remember if i've mentioned her before but she impressed me so much that if i have mentioned her before she's coming back just basically on how she sort of campaigned at her workplace about black lives matter so she was very aware that she should not be making the black people in the organization be the people who had to raise it so she made sure she raised it in her staff meeting with her ceo and also the analogy that she used to talk about people when they were scared about engaging with the Black Lives discussion, Matter discussion um, was amazing, because, and I've been using that analogy. So, Shanna Lennon, she's amazing, we work together, she's a really wonderful person who works for a Voluntary Sector Council, um, and she was basically saying, when the climate change discussion came around everyone fell over themselves to make statements about how they were doing about it and with climate change i think we all agree we've all done really badly we've all been really really terrible about it but people didn't feel like they were ashamed to talk about how they poorly they'd been doing it they were just about i'm going to do better i'm going to go to the marches i'm going to support greta thunberg for like speaking out in the same way, you, that's how people should be addressing their Black Lives Matter. And she just raised the fact that the discrepancy in how people were talking about it. And it's like, we all know we're doing really badly on racism. This is not a surprise to anyone or shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Why isn't our messaging? Why isn't our support for our colleagues? Why isn't our organisational plan around addressing it similar to how we were when we were all up in arms and vocal about climate change. I was like, Shanna, you make a very good point. I love I that. You, and I love that that's how you, in your head, are talking about how you can be better in the exact same way. And I was just like, oh my God, thank you, Shanna. Thank you. That's brilliant. Yes, really good. Alison, did you come up with anyone that you wanted to give a shout out to? If you want to have a thing, I can do mine. No, I've, uh, I, I actually am so lucky that I could probably name off the top of my head 20 people oh. because I work in a brilliant organisation called Touchstone, as you know, where um, when I sent out my Black Lives message to staff internally, um, I was blown away by the huge number of white staff who emailed me back saying, I own my white privilege. I understand that I have privilege and these are the books I've been reading to um, understand the, um, what white privilege means, understand how I can be a better ally, understand how I can become better at being an anti-racist and they were actively talking about how they needed to be anti-racist and how they needed to own their white privilege and they were one after the other emailing me all their book reviews, all these articles that they've read, all these videos and films that they'd watched. And we then created an anti-racism resource from all this feedback from staff who bought the books that people mentioned in order to then be able to share that um, across the, the whole organisation like a library. So people can um, um, so share this, this knowledge. But yeah. uh, we've asked a woman called uh, Jodie Williams to come and um, speak to staff via um, Zoom 
in uh, a couple of weeks, 22nd of July, and she's written a book called The Definition of White Privilege, and she's going to talk about that, and it was something that staff really wanted us to do so that um, we could have the um, in internal organisational conversation about what that is and give people permission to talk about their white privilege uh, and also to be able to understand how to move from that uh, that state to hopefully neutral because um, we know that there'll always be white privilege but there will always be those people with privilege seeking to throw off those shackles of privilege and move towards the anti-racism movement um, and so I could name Jess Parker, Richard Garland, Paul Parker, I mean I could really really go on for a long long time really because good. I am proud and privileged to walk, to walk to walk amongst giants when it comes to anti-racism. Yes, and that's it. This is why I like this segment that we do because it's really, really important that we recognise the people who are doing that kind of like I, really good, just being intrinsically, you know, better than intrinsically good human beings, actively supporting other people, having empathy, having compassion, and just yes. being, yeah, those supporters that we need in our lives. Yeah, and the way that you both in the same vein where. Esther, your mighty white was like, well, I'm just going to compare this to how we deal with climate change. It's not, she's not taking it like personally. And like, yeah, listen, it sounds like the people that you work with, they're not taking it as a personal attack. They're taking it as an opportunity to grow and be better. Um, and, and they're standing alongside their black colleagues. We're really lucky at Touchdown. We're so diverse. Um, over 30% of staff are uh, uh, from black, Asian, minority, ethnic backgrounds. Uh, again, a third of all our service users are similarly from those backgrounds. And so we're really, really uh, rich in diversity. 26% are LGB, 6% are trans and non-binary. So we have lots and lots of internal conversations about and that inclusion. comes from the fact that their leader is. Yeah. It becomes, I think that it makes yeah. a difference when you have leadership that understands what marginalisation feels like it makes it a more welcoming space as a working environment and it means that the white people that you work with understand what it is because they're not just looking around for someone they don't they know people of color they know people who are lgbt they know people who are trans so it's not that big leap for them no, no. it's not and, and because they know people they feel our colleagues pain because we have regular opportunities to talk about the issues that people are constantly having to fight um, in order just to live normal lives and um, if you come to work at Touchstone, you know that this is going to happen. You don't come to work at Touchstone if you're not bothered about inclusion because we talk about it regularly. It's embedded. It's a feature of monitoring, reporting. It's in every aspect of our lives. And so people actively come because that's their belief system. Not going to lie, I am going to look up jobs at Touchstone as soon as <laughs> 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 yeah, you have any Manchester offices that you need people in. My mighty white, I can't remember if I've mentioned her before, but she's amazing, so I'm going to mention it again. Um, a friend of mine, Stephanie Coxon, um, she currently works for the National Trust, but she is just, she, we recently had a discussion where she said, well not recently, it was a few months ago, it was before, um, before the re-emergence of Black Lives Matter, she was reading a book, she was reading the book, Why I No Longer Talk to White People About Race, um that's on our list that's oh on our yes list, yeah um and we often sort of just what she does is she sends me books for like birthday gifts and stuff so we talk about books quite a lot 
um, but they normally tend to be like fantasy and ones like that. So it was really nice. It was wasn't it wasn't out of like oh I'm going to speak to you about this because you're a person of color. It was just like part of our normal conversation. And she said that it was really eye opening, and she's really um, going to try harder to like find more things to read. And I genuinely believe she is because she loves reading. But that was like it was really lovely, a really lovely sentiment and whenever something happens in my life, it, she's a very safe person to go and speak to about it. And she's already very understanding. But in, yeah, it was just a lovely kind of like, oh, this is why this person is so understanding because they educate themselves and then they don't ask for any cookies or pats on the back for doing it. They just do it yeah. because they know it's the right thing to do. Uh, and then you can have a quick chat about it like you would with any other book. And then you just, you know, get on with your life and you're not expected to additionally educate someone after they've read a book and then give your life experience because sometimes that happens as well where you're like oh yeah. but, but also that she's looking for black writers like so many people and I'm in a lot of bookie spaces are mm. like oh but I've never read a book by a woman oh I've never read a book by a black woman and I and that's like you call yourself a book nerd yeah and references white writers you ain't yeah. a book nerd you are like, very, very that goes back to my point about the world being a white world and people yeah. haven't spent the time and the energy um, to um, harvest the good that comes from black communities. They only harvest um, the thing that's just always there. It's just yeah. so easy to, oh yeah, that, we've always had that. Let's just keep having that. We know it works. We don't have to yeah. bother. Um, and I, that's um, I, I've, I've given a shout out to John, John Holmes before, but he is... <laughs> hilarious for teaching me about um old black artists and musicians and people who have influenced like the beastie boys and the hip-hop that we listen to now and it always ends up being a, like an amazingly powerful black woman or like a group of black women who have achieved something so like 30 40 years ago that is still in what we listen to years ago yeah. ben Afro Ben wrote at the same time as Shakespeare. Who's heard of Afro Ben? First <laughs> black woman, famous. She was famous. She was a playwright. She was her stuff's amazing. I've got one on the bookshelf. Ori oh, Nelson. Oh, brilliant! But who's heard of her? And that's because yeah. black history is erased. Yeah. And white history is the norm. Yeah. Well, that segues quite nicely into our pop culture reference of the week. I would say. <laughs> So that's when we discuss things in popular culture that really address some of the things that we talk about or just generally are things where we feel seen and understood. And it doesn't just have to be movies and films, um, but I tend to segue that way a lot. Um, but yeah, it can be, yeah, it can be music, it can be writers, it can be poetry. So uh, Alison, do you have a pop culture reference that you want to talk about? Well, I'm very old. Um, um, the word pop in my world is uh, is non-existent but that what makes me i mean obviously I, I love poems i love poetry and I, I would i would obviously talk about my own child adam's poems and um i don't know if you've ever seen it but um he wrote a poem about uh, being a gay man being a black gay young man uh, called pride and i cried and um uh, and then his stuff around slavery so being uh, born railroad for example 
um, arms just, my heart just exploded with love and pride. And that was based on Harewood House. It was, it was influenced by Harewood House, which is here in, um, in West Yorkshire, uh, uh, which was built on the backs of slavery. Um, and then finally, he um, really demonstrated his love for self, which is something that I've really, really tried to get both my kids to do, is love themselves through his, um, um, his, his poem that's all in Polari which was the Guardian oh. poetry, uh, of the week. It was the Guardian poem of the week. And it's all about um, the, um, the, the medieval language that became Palari and it was, uh, you know, so for me, um, being a gay black man um, and loving yourself and everything that is in your fiber coming through that, that written word and not just the, the writing, his performance, he, he embraces his blackness and he embraces his gayness and he embraces his gender fluidity. And for me, for me, I think that um, he is my uh, pop culture reference uh, and obviously I am biased. Oh, that's so beautiful. Be bias is fine. You just need to acknowledge it and own it. And let's yeah. face it, black bias is something we're kind of on board with. <laughs> And, 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 um, bias. Why not? There's too yeah. much. Yeah, loving yourself bias. We love the loving yeah. yourself bias. Absolutely. That's brilliant. I am going to go and look up more of Adam poetry, which I really should have done anyway. Okay, Jazz, do you have a pop culture reference? Yeah, this goes back to what um what I was talking about before about um like music that I've been listening to. Um, one of the bands that I've been listening to is like an older band. Uh, not older, but like a band that's not making music anymore but emerald sapphire and gold uh were a group that were out um sort of i think it was like late uh 70s early 80s and they uh, it's a group of three black women and they made like incredible beats incredible music and it's a it's it's just so good it's like a mixture of like rock and roll and hip-hop and everything that they sing about and they do is just beautiful and amazing and if you listen to it you find that it's influenced a lot of like rock and roll and and songs and music that have been out like in the late 80s 90s they were like way ahead of their time they weren't being treated very well in the industry and the beastie boys came along um and they wanted to sample one of their tracks but they were adamant that if they were going to use it as a sample the Beastie Boys were adamant that what they would do was get their record label to sign ESG so that rather wow. than putting out uh, EPs through like their own way of like creating music they actually had an album put together so that's like a mighty white thing as well but it's also that is like, amazing um and they just have an amazing history and it's available like on Spotify and everywhere else but I just really love them they're super super great I love the bejeweled nature of it, emerald sapphire. Yeah, oh. um, it was two of those birthstone and then gold just for fun, I think. <laughs> was Brilliant! That yeah, um, and yeah, just just amazing work. I did have another Cool, one. okay. So mine, I've sort of got two, but they're sort of semi-linked. Um, so there was um, the, there is 
it's recorded on YouTube and it's amazing. Uh, David Ayelowo's um, BFI Black Star keynote speech, uh, where he talks amongst other things about pitching a period drama to a big commissioner, and we can guess which one it was, who told him that they didn't want to hear, uh, they didn't have enough space for another period drama. And let's face it, we see a lot of period dramas, but what they clearly meant was they didn't want to see a period drama about a black historical figure. Um, and so he talks about the erasure of black histories in that. But also one of the things he talks about is how he felt that at some point in his career, he was able to choose to just work with uh, female directors. And one of the female directors he's worked with is one of my favorite, uh, Amara Santi, who was in Grange Hill, which is the ultimate, you know, in terms of British pop culture, certainly for my years. I watched that and I really yeah so her <laughs> second film so her first film's called A Way of Life um, and that deals with um, an um, experience being working class in Cardiff um, and then her second film which was like a decade later I had to wait for is a period drama with a black lead called <laughs> Belle and I love that oh, yeah. film so yeah, much. Yeah. Yeah, and anytime that. people talk to me about how it's like oh but why would you have a black person because black people weren't around I'm like watch Belle so that also, is... Also, where do they think black people and people of colour work? Like, what do you think? I mean, um, so that is my favourite period drama, and it has got some stiff competition, but the ability to be seen on screen, looking beautiful, being black, being amazing, talking about your rights as a woman. I mean, that film just should get more love. So <laughs> that is my pop culture, historical references reference of the week oh excellent uh so we're coming to the end now um of our episode so alison you've already plugged uh adam beyonce low adam i'm sorry again adam, <laughs> adam beyonce low poet drag queen performer educator poet look him up he is amazing activist is also an activist not only the oh, and an activist but also for ME, because now he's, uh, obviously, he discovered some years ago that he had ME and uh, is part of the NICE um, group um, influencing yeah. uh, the, um, the way that ME is viewed by the medical profession and hopefully changing some of the negative ways that people with ME have been forced to endure exercise as a, uh, as a way of getting better, which is yeah. not true. Yeah, no. do look up his work because it is incredible what he's doing um, and how he's able to articulate the things that are wrong with the way that uh, people with ME and disabled people in general are treated, especially when it comes to pain management uh, in the NHS and how they're um, diagnosed and a lot of the time they're diagnosed uh, inappropriately with mental health issues when actually it's a physical issue that they need. And, and, and that's the case for all disabilities. That's that's often been the, the case and the yeah is there anything yeah. about touchstone that you want to say i know it's a charity so is there any um i know obviously with corona being around we can't really do anything face to face but any uh well, actually, donations uh, or yeah but some of our staff have been working face to face throughout the whole of the lockdown because we're delivering statutory services so all our homeless services have been out there working moving people who are street homeless into accommodation they are heroes um, and um, many of our other services that don't have to do the face-to-face -face are doing so where there are risk issues or safeguarding issues um, or someone goes off the radar and we're worried about them then staff will go out and search 
um, those people out and make sure that they're okay. Uh, actually, one thing that we did do um, right from day one was identify that food was a, a massive issue for lots of people in the poorest communities that we were working with. So we set up a thing called Touchstone Loves, Loves Food. We started the first Wednesday after lockdown, um, so the 25th. We've never, ever, ever had a food bank or anything like it ever before. And 16 weeks in, we have served 100,000 meals to 700 people. Um, and um, it's, it's been an amazing, amazing experience. 50% of the people we have fed have been from a Black Asian minority ethnic background. And as well as the food we've been offering, um, uh, mental health support, information about coronavirus and how to stay well, because obviously we're working with that most at-risk community of uh, Black, Asian, minority ethnic people, but definitely Black people and Asian people, because they are together most at risk. Uh, we've been giving them information about local test and tracing. So we influenced the position of a, a walking test centre at Leeds. So Leeds was the first walking test centre because of the um, feedback that we gave about how exclusive the testing centres were. And if you had no car and you had no English as your second language, they were impossible. So they did lots and lots of work to make a really inclusive walking test centre in Leeds, which uh, we've then given lots of information to services so they can access it. So actually, I think that coronavirus has been um, a real testing ground for all of us in the voluntary sector. And I'm really yeah. proud that um, even though I'm here shielding um, in my house and I've not gone out once in the 16 weeks, my staff, Touchstone staff, have been absolute heroes, leaders, going out there, identifying the needs of our communities and meeting those needs, putting themselves at risk, but hopefully making a huge sea change difference to those communities and keeping people well. Yes! Well, we are proud to have you on our podcast. It's been a lot. I think we could talk about statues and, think, and mental um, health in black and brown people. Health. There's so many things. I think we need like a part two, part three with like yeah, all the I'll, I'll come back. But, no problem at all. I can come back after we finish the reviews of the statues and tell you what happened. And I would love Because yeah, I would be really come. curious to hear how that goes down because yeah, you yeah, know, well, a lot of people are like, oh, we didn't like the way Edward Coulson came down, but we could <laughs> sort of see what. So it would be really interesting having you go through what would be the approved process. Yeah, yeah well, we are consulting the people of Leeds and the people of Leeds will massively inform what happens. And then I will write a recommendations paper that goes to the city council. It's, it's not my decision, it'll be the council's decision, but we will hopefully make some excellent recommendations that come from the voices of the people of Leeds and Leeds City Council, fingers crossed, will act. Oh, it's a perfect way to end the episode, yeah, I think. 100%. Thank you so much for coming, thank Alison. You. And thank we will share you. all of the things that you've shared with us as well in the world. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.